Hi, I'm Jeremy Leslie. This is the Mag Culture Podcast. Welcome to the 37th episode of the podcast. I'm here at the Mag Culture Shop and I'm sat with Danielle, who joins us. Hi, hello. I'm well, here. Welcome back on board. Thank you so much. It's been a while. while. Yeah, yeah. Been, been busy. Absolutely. Um, we'll be coming back to you for some magazine choices in a minute, but um, in this episode we'll be hearing from two magazines. We'll be catching up with our old friend Penny Martin, Editor-in-Chief of The Gentlewoman, about the 10th anniversary of The Gentlewoman Club. And we'll be hearing from Hamburg, where I spoke to two of the team behind Indian Art and Design magazine, The Irregular Times. But first, I said, Danielle and I have been looking at the, at the shelves out in the shop and pulling a few things down. It's hard to narrow it down, but we have. Indeed, always tricky. Um, but we've got, we've got a few here on the table in front of us. You've got one laid open in front of you just now with a very gorgeous picture. Uh, a classic old picture of the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah, lovely. Um, this is our ma- current magazine of the month, Disco Pogo. Um, packed, packed as ever with electronic music, old and new. Mm-hmm. Um, they, do, they do a great thing with their covers, don't they? Yeah, yeah, gorgeous. So they have two different covers this month. Um, so they have the Chemical Brothers on one and uh, Romy on the other. And we've been having old lots of... Old and new. Yeah, old and new. And uh, lots of lots of debates about which which is the favourite cover in the shop and with customers. Uh, well, I think we're all pretty clear that we're, which the favourite is, aren't we? I mean, I know who mine is. Yeah. Uh, well, but, but, <laughs> I'm Romy. You're, yeah, 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 Team Romy, Romy Team Romy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean to say the other one is, isn't valid as well. There's, there's plenty of those flying out the shop as well. So indeed, yes, yeah. But it's a nice mix. It's a good mix. And we've got the Pet Shop Boys open just because I recently rediscovered their remix album Disco. And that relates to this, which is a, a, a sort of guide to their 20 best um, dance remixes, which I will be trawling Spotify to see if I can find. Yes, please. We should put them on yeah. the shop this week, yeah. as we have had Romy on yes, uh, back to probably back to back. for about a month. <laughs> Not that I'm complaining. Um, and I did take this home on the weekend, um, though I got distracted by the nice weather. But it is very much at the top of my pile on what to read next. It's only issue four, but somehow it feels like it's been here been around much longer it's really established itself mm. i think very impressive very yes impressive. good content nice and chunky another one that's been around for a little while actually just mention this quickly we present which is from we transfer they've been doing this thing if you've been listening to the podcast you'll be aware that um, we, we had um live siddle who's involved in the project was talking about this, this idea they've had where they they produce three different copies of the same magazine each edition has the same stories in it but they, they look completely different because they've been created by a different designer and it's still a really lovely, valid experiment. And the, the, the sixth issue, uh, I think it's the third one where they've done this uh, experiment with design, um, is out now. And that's, um, I don't know, it's a really good contribution to, to what my, uh, editorial design is. Mm. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's a great idea. But jumping on, you've got another magazine there? I do, yes. Um, it's the brand new issue of The Bittersweet Review, which is a, a literary magazine that platforms queer artists and writers. Um, and it has literally just arrived and, and been placed on the desk, but I've just been having a little flick through it. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's just great to have it on the shelves. And this time it's um, it's themed, I started a joke. Um, so it's quite funny and I think just quite nice, especially with the news of the last few weeks and stuff, because it's kind of looking at the inherent kind of humour within queerness and also the way that people use that to kind of like... Um, counteract what's going on in the wider world so it's um good timing for uh-huh. this one yeah uh, uh and that, that's a, a read that's yeah a... it is it is it's uh it's a read it's quite cerebral it's got 
um, short stories, fiction, essays, interviews. There's a really nice interview in here with um, David Hoyle um, by Amru Al-Khadi. Um, and that's, yeah, I was just flicking through that one and it's, it's, it's really nice talking about his performance art. Uh, so I would recommend that. And lots of very funny, silly little il illustrations throughout as well. Um, so yeah, it looks like another another good addition. Just the second from those guys. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we'll finish our little um, quick survey with a, with a new issue, the issue one of a, of a literary magazine uh, from New York. In fact, from a, a small town called Calicoon in New York State. Mm, yeah. uh, Lit is. Um, I think it's a really exciting little magazine. It's 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 quite large format actually. It comes in and in, in this is the sort of thing that always appeals to me. But it comes in a bag with a match on it, and there's a, there's a uh, a matchbox strip down the side of the spine, so you can actually literally. I don't know whether that's whether that you you're you're lighting it as in lit or or whether it's yeah. Um, and I, th I think it, it mentions it a little bit in the editorial letter about like kind of like. The striking a flame and, and setting, the setting things alight. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, our co uh, yes, yes. Uh, our communal hearth, our bonfire, our yes. beacon. As I was talking to one of, one of the team here, Katie, and, and we we were just slightly baffled by the fact that it had an egg on the front cover because everything lit and the matched matchstick and everything seemed to kind of hold together. Yeah. But then there's an egg, which I guess. Maybe it's beginnings. It's the beginning. It's the, yeah, it's the, perhaps. It's the birth of a new magazine. It's a very good-looking magazine, though. It's very um, aesthetically pleasing, nice, and I, I really like. Um, I love a one, like a one-syllable magazine name as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's very satisfying. Lit with two T's. It's satisfying to look at, and it's satisfying to say, isn't it? It's nice yeah. and direct and simple. Yeah, yeah. Although Disco Pogo is also one of the best. It's a, it's a great name. <laughs> um, bit long. Bit long, but, but too, it's very bouncy. Letters, it's bouncy, you know. It's, yeah, uh, disco poke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. nice to nice to say. Lit is also. I mean, the, the inside. It's, it's really well put together. Magazine. I'm really interested to see what happens with that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's some magazines that we. You know, that's that's our yes. bread and butter. That's the day to day life of a, of, of of a magazine shop. But we've got other things going. We you do. mentioned we were busy. We, we, we have just, been busy. We just sent the pop set out. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, the new... Need a holiday. The new, yeah, <laughs> we need to lie down now. Um, yes, the, the most recent box set is, is, is out there. Um, people should have it just about now. Lots of um, lovely mags in there. The usual five mags with um, your own bespoke reading notes as you've uh, you mm -hmm. put together. If, if you don't know what the box set is, have a look at the website and search Mag Culture Club mm -hmm. and that will, that will take you to some more information about that. Yes. Now, a thread through this whole podcast... By luck, more than anything else, is is uh, events and tenth anniversaries. Mm -hmm. I already mentioned it's the tenth anniversary of the Gentlewoman um, Club. Um, it's also the tenth anniversary of Mad Culture Live coming up. It of is the indeed. London edition of, of yes. Mad Culture Live, which obviously is going to be exercising our uh, resources and time over the next <laughs> months to come, uh, well, over the weeks to come. Yes. Um, I guess I should just quickly, quickly tell everyone, Thursday is 16th of November, tickets on sale now. That's the one. Um, but who, who are you looking forward to hearing from? Yeah, um, so I think, I mean, the, we, we had um, the paper popped in from Cardiff a few weeks back mm -hmm. and they were just so lovely and funny and the magazine is just such a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they have to say in a more formal setting. Um, and also, um, they should have the second issue by then as well, no? Or maybe cooking it. It's, think, co it's certainly I cooking. I think it'll be cooking it's by been then. Baked. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it will have been. 
uh, removed from the oven. Okay, yeah. well, almost, almost there. Or let alone, the, I don't think the egg will have cracked. Yeah, the, the egg's yeah. not quite cracked. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to, to listening to them. They're very funny and hearing a little bit more about what the second issue might be like. Um, also, Tun mm-hmm. as well, um, a magazine I've kind of dipped into but not really sat down with. And so I'm quite interested to to hear a bit more about that. So I think, I think and design. Jermaine, the guy behind that, is a really interesting person. He, he writes about interior design. He collects uh, product design mm-hmm. you know, uh, and he makes the... He, he, he's a creator. He makes stuff. Uh, and, and he's launched this magazine. I'm fascinated. There's issue two. Is on, issue two is on its way. That yes, one. yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's at uh, 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 one end of the scale. But then on the other end of the scale, I'm looking forward to welcoming uh, Deborah Bishop, who's the uh, creative director behind the New York Times Kids section. Yes. Um, and she spoke at the New York edition of Mad Culture Live earlier this year. Um, and what she she did an extraordinary presentation. And I think just, you know, it's not often you can just say to someone, just hold that thought, fly to London and repeat what you just did. Yeah, it was, that, it it just, was great. It's that simple. It's just, that's all we need is new audience and the same show. Yes. Um, and she's very much kind of up there as, a, as, as a, a great editorial designer working today and who can share both her own work but talk really wisely and intelligently to the wider picture. Um, and there's lots more. Um, Neville Brody did, a, did, a, did a, one of our Mag Culture meets over the summer and he's, he's joining us again. Mm-hmm. Maya from um, Journal Sapphire and Al Haya. Yes. It's going to be interesting coming in from Beirut. There's a new issue now of Al Haya on its way. Yeah. yeah which would be really yeah, good. Yeah. Good to have on the shelves. But you can, see, so you can see the full details on the website as ever, but we're very excited about doing this. And we're going to be doing it at the uh, London's Vitsu shop. Um, very exciting. Very, which is very exciting. And, and that kind of, again, speaks to the 10th anniversary because part of the origin story of uh, Mag Culture Live or the modern magazine it was as, as, as it was then is that, we, so that we, we'd just done a smaller event with Vitsu way back before we had the shop before we were really doing the events and that kind of was a stepping stone to everything else mm. that's proceeded so um, very happy to be collaborating with them again Yes so As well as the 10th anniversary of Mag Culture Live the uh, the Gentleman Club has been um, celebrating its anniversary just now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure every, everyone listening, we, you know, people know the Gentleman and they yeah. know the, the new issue that's just been out. Yeah, absolutely. We've got that. Um, it's it's always so popular and we've got the, the lovely, gorgeous kind of aubergine Shaka Khan cover right now on the shelves. And as ever, it's just, you know, we're constantly popping it in the post and people are coming in to pick it up especially. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a favourite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but like a lot of magazines, um, the gentlewoman moved into events about uh, 10 years ago. They, they do it in their own very particular way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, th- I, I wanted to find out from them more about the sort of origins of the club and, and, and what the highlights of those 10 years have been. And who better to find out from than Penny Martin, editor-in-chief, and I guess maybe not an official title, but I imagine she's probably chief curator of the club. Yeah. Um, so we spoke to her. She joined me um, online on Zoom from Fife. Hi, Penny. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Jeremy. And you? Uh, very well, thanks. Very well. It's, it's a pleasure to catch up. It's been a while. You're speaking to us from the homeland, right? Yeah, from Fife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking out across the water. Oh, you are? Yeah, yeah. I look out onto the Firth of Forth. Ah, okay, lovely. That sounds idyllic, but I imagine you're not, you're not spending all your time up there. No, it, there are pockets of time where it's quite consistent. And then other times when I'm traveling a lot, I've been away for the collections, obviously, mm-hmm. this season. And uh, before that, I was in the uh, Venice for the film festival. 
And we were in production in July making this issue of the magazine. So that's quite a lot of travel. And then I'll, I'll have a few weeks now to really crack the next issue. So it, it ebbs and flows. And and when you say in production, you're down here in London with a team. Yeah, we've got new premises. It's really made a big difference. We're down in South Kensington now. We've got a place in Cromwell Place, the arts complex. So um, big, tall rooms allowing for kind of <laughs> more thought, maybe. But um, yeah, so I, um, I've, I'm down in chunks, uh, like or four or five days or whatever. Um, but I'm not based in London 100%. I don't have a property there anymore. When you're um, travelling for the collections, for the fashion shows, uh, do you enjoy that? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, it's it's nice to be away. I'll well, I tell you what I don't do anymore. I don't come back in between Milan and Paris Fashion Week. I try to go through and it really makes you aware of the um, temperature in the cities. I mean, obviously, literally, but also... You know, Paris felt very different from Milan this time. I can't can't quite tell why, but um, Milan was very sort of intense, and then Paris felt really um, quite sort of flighty and fancy free. And then we were uh, with the magazine. We had an event uh, bang in the middle of Paris Fashion Week, so I came back and broke Paris with a bit of London. So yeah, it made makes you think about those cities and their fashions in the abstract instead of just you know, fixating on who's going to what house, which is really quite a boring conversation, really. Uh, uh, but all very different to Fife. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Well, <laughs> it's not a place lacking in culture particularly. It's strange. I live in a place that's very well known for its music. I mean, our you know, I live in a place called a Cellardyke, which is connected to a borough called Anstruther. And uh, this place is really known for a kind of um, music production system called Fence Collective. So all the people that live here, like Ken Creosote and mm-hmm. James Yorkston and a lot of um, other bands came out of our school, strangely enough, Beta Band and um, Lone Pigeon and Kate Tunstall. They were all at school with me, just a comprehensive in Fife, but we all lived in the same town, basically, and grew up together. I love Beta Band. I've been listening to them a lot recently, actually. <laughs> <laughs> just going back to Fashion Week... Um, I feel like it passed me, but I'm mean, I'm not a big fashionista. I'll 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 put that out there. You surprised me, um, but uh, I don't know. You know a lot about the magazines. I, oh, I know the magazines, but not. But I feel it kind of passed me by, except that there were bed bugs in in Paris. <laughs> Was this the case? Yeah. There there seemed to be a big scare about all all, all the bed bugs, and everyone in, New, in in Freeze is worried about people bringing them over and. I hate to be the one to tell you, but there are always bed bugs in Paris. <laughs> uh, there's always somebody that has been uh, affected by it. Um, what was the latest tip that I heard? Someone told me that if you keep a torch on in your bed or something like that, <laughs> they don't come out. But it, no, it, most travelling journalists know how to check for them. You check at the juncture between the mattress and the headboard. Uh-huh. And if there's not anything there, then you're fine. You're safe. Okay, good tip, good tip. But you know, that that's the thing, it, it, they don't discriminate. It could be in the most expensive uh, hotel or it could be in a complete flop house. And uh, <laughs> in my years in fashion, I've stayed at both. <laughs> Not in that order, fortunately. But to the magazine, congratulations on the new issue. Um, Thank you. Leading with Chaka Khan, fantastic. Yeah, we've been trying for years. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. At last, her agent will be pleased not to be hearing from me every six months. <laughs> She's, you wore them down. <laughs> we did. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but there's a lot in there. One, one thing that particularly stood out for me was um, the piece about Virago books. 
Yeah, no, I, that was great. Because somehow that feels like something that's been forgotten, not forgotten, but it's sort of you don't hear so much about now. We were reading the right kind of um, newspaper supplements. Probably we might have seen the press about them, but you can't imagine there's that many fashion magazines wanting to cover 50 years of women's publishing and uh, what that has meant. But yeah, no, it's, it, that was really exciting and interesting. I learned a lot reading about it. And Erica Wagner did a great job. She interviewed just about everybody she involved, did. <laughs> which <laughs> quite a number of people. So yeah, I'm excited to have that. I, I used to work at the Fawcett Library, of course. So um, those green spines meant a lot to us. And um, yeah, we're, I feel very you know, privileged to have it in the magazine. I particularly like the the the, the fact that st- struck me was that I, I hadn't realised, although I knew there was a lot of crossover between staff, I didn't realise it, it literally grew out of, out of a book in print called Spare Rib Books. Yes, yes. I didn't realise that Spare Rib magazine had come out of a book. I didn't either. We had it in the Fawcett Library, of course. And I don't used to, I mean, I, it's one of the first sort of peculiar independent magazines I was aware of. I used to see it in my best friend's mum's bathroom and wonder what the hell it was. <laughs> and then I'd open it up and be completely scandalised yes. by it because, of course, it'd be about some kind of self-awareness inspection yeah. <laughs> diagram or something. Based where you are and travelling a lot, do do you see many magazines? I mean, how, how do you observe the scene generally? Yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? I don't see them a lot on the train, that's true. Um, in the way that, you know, before I worked... For the gentlewoman, you still always hear Tyler Brule saying that, you know, magazines were all about your identity on a plane and the magazine that you were holding up told everybody on the plane who you were. It's a great idea, but, you know, how there are fewer people doing it, it's true. And yet, maybe the people that still are are maybe a bit more diehard about it. So um, I think people are kind of um, still as rabid, but it's true that it, it, you, you don't see so many kind of lying around. But that's true for supplements and newspapers generally, isn't it? Yes, it is. I think it's true on trains and planes. But um, I'm just interested if you have have seen anything new recently that's... Um... I've got a stack sitting here that haven't been opened yet, but um, I've got self-service and ton. I, 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 this new interiors magazine, I haven't looked at it yet, but I'm interested. A friend of mine is working on food magazines at the moment. So I, I was actually getting a lot of <laughs> old ones. Maybe that's not exciting for uh-huh. you. Lots of things that are out of print, but that still should be in print. That I was looking at um, Gourmand and uh-huh. Uh-huh. Peach and uh, yeah. you and I were talking about that, yeah, weren't yeah, you? Yeah. Um, bon Appetit and things. Um, but it seems to me that the curve has been, you know, it was fashion and then it was art and now it's food, isn't it? So yes. it seems that that's where everybody is at in terms of thinking what a new um, form would be. And then, yeah, I've been looking a lot, again, at literary magazines and I imagine you have too. Is that what you're finding people are still buying? Uh, literary mags are big. I think uh, interiors are still big and, and and Tun is a great example of that, the one that you mentioned you haven't opened yet. You, you need to get yeah, that open. Well, I've, I I bought it, but it's it's here. It's ready for me to absorb. The new issue's out. That's great news. And but the big thing that's just happened is you've been celebrating the tenth anniversary of the Gentlewoman Club. Yeah, um, this is a season where we hope there will be a few celebrations and a chance to meet up a little bit more frequently. The most recent event, I think, was was a trip to the Sarah Lucas show at Tate Britain. Yeah, we started um, with 
a trip to see Happy Gas, which is her survey exhibition at Tate Britain, which we did with Burberry in the middle of the collection. So I came back from Paris, as I said. And then um, with Arquette, uh, we'd been working on a Gentlewoman t-shirt. Stupidly, we'd never got just a straightforward t-shirt with the logo, the beautiful logo. So we were working with them on that and that's featured in the back of the current issue. So it was a chance to launch that. And I think probably take advantage of the fact that we've got these amazing new premises now that we're down in Cromwell Place. So um, that was uh, this week just passed. But we hope there'll be a couple more this season. We might be doing something in New York with Chaka Khan around the time um, that she's inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of oh. Fame. My colleagues are just working on trying to pull nice. that off. And um, yeah, we're, we're also, we featured the curator of uh, the Gabrielle Chanel exhibition at v um, in the issue. So we're hoping that we'll be able to do a tour of that show at very least before Christmas. So um, yeah, hopefully a, a chance to see um, a good many more because when we do these events that are supported by brands, we often find, you know, we obviously have fewer spaces. It's not just like a kind of open house in the way that the um, uh, event uh, Arquette was. Um, and, you know, I always feel conflicted emotions where people will say, I've been trying to come to one of these events for years and this is my first time. And of course, in a way that's good, but you know, you really feel for these people mm-hmm. that are really persistent because yeah, you can yeah. imagine getting quite turned off by it. Yeah. So it's important that you kind of balance something that's exclusive, literally, with something that's a kind of open mm-hmm. doors. So I think that's the trick. And, and what were the origins of the club 10 years ago? I mean, can you can you recall how it came about? I definitely can. We um, started with a signing, I think. Oh, no, it wasn't even a signing. It was a kind of, you know, chance to meet the team and uh, buy an issue. I think we did it at Dover Street with Idea Books. And immediately it happened. I kind of knew it was similar to what I'd done when I worked in museums, where you finally meet the public and you get a chance to sort of see what they say about your exhibition or whatever. Um, so it was a sort of flashback to that, but also we were just really impressed with the turnout, quite honestly. And we knew that as soon as people like the director of Freeze Art Fair and other designers and people from the world of business, we probably couldn't have got a PR company to do such a good guest list. And we certainly didn't have the budget to pay people to come in the way that other magazines do. So as soon as that started happening, we just knew that we had to cultivate that from a kind of <laughs> cynical brand perspective but you know also for us if you're spending six months making it and you get a chance for people to say oh you know you know I've just heard the two things that you know you liked and um it, it keeps you on course you sort of know what people are responding to and what they're not responding to as well and it, it, it sinks in and it helps you plan the next issue which you know we're in the middle of editorial meetings at the moment and you know we've just met a bunch of readers who've pointed out certain things about the magazine so it's you know, research and development is kind of consumer research, I guess. But also it's fun for us. But it's also the best type of research. It's informal. It's not, you're not in a kind of focus group room with the yeah. secret you mirror. Yeah, them with biscuits. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned a few of the events that, that, that have happened over the years, but are there a couple that maybe sort of stand out as being the most memorable? Pinnacle. Pinnacle even, yeah, pinnacle's a good word. The most evolved... Um, probably were some of the tours that we did. We did um, a series of architecture tours, one in London, but one in LA. And that was great because 
I think that was the point where we started to realise that our readers were different in different cities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That yeah, sure, you know, if you do a, I don't know, a running club or you do a book group, you're going to get, you know, a particular type of your reader attending. But, you know, when we went to LA, naturally, we were doing architecture tours, so you met architects, but we could tell it was sort of actors and that kind of community. Whereas we did a dance party in um, Berlin. Of course, you saw that it was kind of club, club kids that were coming, etc. So you just start to notice that, you know, in New York, we're perceived as a bit more literary and that's who turns out to our events, etc. So that you know how to sort of plan in different places and what you how you kind of can massage the guest list um a little bit. So that was in terms of kind of steer and development, I would say that was a kind of important one. But sometimes it's also touching to see how actually quite a modest offering can inspire a really memorable event. We did a ghost walk tour through Soho in the dark one night and with Sunspell and that was amazing I mean it was so atmospheric I mean it might have been to do with the fact we had a really charismatic um tour guide we did that with Sunspell did we but you know and we've been in the highlands with um Beg uh, we did kind of amazing foraging in the Cairngorms that was incredible um yeah yeah I mean it it, it you know and People go along with the editorial idea at the heart of it is the thing. And I just think people give us, we're not ticketing these things. You don't, you know, they're they're not paid to be there. They're not paying to be there or and they're not paid to be there. So I think it's, it runs on goodwill. And as long as, you know, we're behaving in a kind of collegiate way and I'm not sort of sitting on a stage like a bogus uh, celebrity, I think people are willing to turn up to an, a night that's about collecting vintage furniture <laughs> or you know participate in our running club when you they weren't a runner people were turning up on like a thursday night in the dark in october to come out running with us it was amazing the vintage furniture that remind i mean i you did do a vintage furniture one in in uh, east london i came to that uh, and i was really impressed by just i don't know it was just a really lovely calm evening it was just it was social, it was interesting from the point of view of hearing from the person that owned and, and, and curated uh, the, the the items that were on display. Um, and there, there, it, it wasn't overloaded or o overstated, it was just a lovely, calm, interesting evening and then everyone sort of went home. <laughs> yeah, and as esoteric as it might sound now, it also had a fashion parallel, whether that was evident to everybody. I think the reason we'd done that, we'd done a short article about the fact that people were starting to collect arts and crafts furniture which have has been the least fashionable thing for about 30 years and interestingly in the article what the um auction house told us that we asked advice about it and they said well look it's to do with the fact that people can't live in zones one and two anymore so they're buying edwardian property and they're choosing furniture of that era or earlier to match sort of thing interesting mm -hmm. point um, so, but the reason we'd done it was that we'd seen that Loewe and Jonathan Anderson were starting to buy that for their shops and upholster it in modern fabrics. So, you know, a fashion crowd kind of understood why they were there, but, you know, a very trusting reader went along with a very calm night in Islington at some kind of furniture warehouse. Um, and I, I like the idea that they, um, enjoy this a more brown rice aspects of our programming <laughs> alongside you know a much more classic drink in a shop kind of format are there are there regulars that come i mean have, have you got to know familiar faces yeah we have and in fact we've 
employed them. I think I've got a research assistant that came as a very um, frequent attendee. And I have been thinking a little bit about how we might put that to use. So I think, you know, <laughs> it's not like I'm trying to run some kind of bo- boarding school with kind of form <laughs> monitors and prefects, etc. But I think that people do take on certain responsibilities or they'd start to take on certain profiles within the group and they will be the ones that help us hand out things or they can anticipate something that needs done etc and step up and yeah but actually I'm thinking we actually featured Atega Wagba actually in the an issue of the magazine and she she had become known to us as somebody that came along to our events so people have made it into the magazine and they've made it into the office on mm-hmm. account of it mm-hmm. yes like a proper club yeah, yeah that's the dream isn't it yeah exactly so um, how do people join? It's free on the site. And any time you engage with any of our content, I think a kind of bar comes up and tells you, do you want to join? And all you do is give some of your information. I think back in the day, there was a questionnaire that you had to give information about yourself. Uh, and maybe there still is, let me think. Um, and that was towards a reader of the month format. But now I think people, you know, tell us a little bit and it sometimes can help us work out whether they're appropriate for certain kinds of guest lists. So there is a genuine incentive in that. But, you know, we're not asking for information that gets passed on or whatever. But, uh, members also receive a newsletter, right? Yeah, it's bi-weekly. Great. Uh, Penny, thank you for joining us. Of course. Good luck with the next events. Um, thank you. And, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Super. Thanks, Jeremy. London printers, Park Communications play a key part in the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers turn their dreams to reality. The paper, Chutney, Superstore Wilderness and Soho House magazine are some of our favourite magazines that are produced by Park. As well as high creative standards, Park are also committed to producing your magazine in the most environmentally friendly and sustainable manner. Buy a copy of their sustainable print guide from the Magculture Shop or download a free version from the Park website. Search Park Communications. Just like MagCulture, Park love magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor the MagCulture podcast. Now, last month I travelled to Hamburg for the 10th edition of the Indicon Festival. I wasn't joking when I, met, when I said everywhere we look at the moment there seems to be a 10th anniversary. But this is the 10th edition of, of that festival. It's a really enjoyable catching up with old friends and making new ones and the IndieCon team do a fantastic job of bringing the indie magazine network together um, there were, everyone seemed to be there publishers distributors retailers and not to be forgotten the readers as well um, i was there to do a live interview with the team from the regular times this magazine is fascinating on several levels for a start it's from india a vast country that we seem to hear very little from in terms of indie publishing that would be enough to get our attention, but the magazine is also a genuinely strong piece of publishing. It's a lovely large format thing. Its makers refer to it as a newspaper. It has a great sense of wit and humour, and as well as covering local art and design, for instance, a history of metal typefaces from colonial Bombay, its stories include business advice and personal advice, foregrounding women's rights. Here's an edited version of the interview I did with co-founder Tarina Sethi and features editor Vasuda Narayanan. I open by asking Tarina, she's the first voice you hear, and Vasuda, is there an indie magazine in India? I would say it's 
coming up, but it's not something like what we would see here, for example. We definitely have zines and zine makers. We have a lot of zine mm -hmm. makers and we have a lot of zine fairs, uh, indie zine fairs. But what I noticed when I came here was that you see these large format self-published books, magazines and publications that you don't see there, uh -huh. especially at fairs like this, where everything is teeny tiny, number one. Right. And it's usually artists sort of trying to just get their work out um, because a zine is a really nice way and an affordable way to sell your work that's not, you know, in a gallery setting. But uh, on the flip side, I think the other really interesting thing that I noticed is that when we think about zine fairs in India, we usually think about it as the younger generation doing it. And what I loved about what I love about this and what I've never seen in India is that people of every age has, are, are here and they've been doing it for years and years and it's their career. Whereas over there, it's like, like a side project. Mm -hmm. It's always a side project because it doesn't really make us money. That's one. And on the flip side, we don't have many self-published indie anything. There are a few really great ones. There's Bombay Duck Design, which is a self-publishing house and they make beautiful, beautiful books. Um, there's Dirty Magazine that started at the same time as us, which is more photography and fashion editorial. Um, it's more book-like. It's, and it's yeah, more book-like. Yeah. It's more magazine book-like. Uh, there is um, Platform Magazine, which I would say goes more close to like the magazine side of it because you would find it at actual magazine vendors in uh -huh. India. Um, and there's Motherland, which comes out once in a while. Um, not, we don't actually know how often it comes out, but it's also another beautiful, beautiful magazine that very much focuses on India and the mm -hmm. diaspora. Um, but that's the thing, I can count them on my, on one hand. And so... We, and it's a big, big country, of it's course. A yeah, 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 it's a yeah. huge country. But I do think that, I think the great thing about India right now is that artists are getting a little bit more rebellious. They're trying new things. And the whole indie self-publishing aspect of the art world is, is starting to come up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, it's a little scary for everyone to start a new thing because it's so hard to do, do have two jobs because this, for example, the newspaper doesn't make us any money. So we all also are uh, practicing artists um, because we, can't, like, we physically can't do it full time because it, it isn't self-sustaining. And so because of that, I think it's a little bit harder for a lot of people to start things like this because we don't have that many buyers. Uh -huh. Our buyers are a very niche community. It started with, so we used to uh, curate an art fair. It was an alternative art fair and we used to call it the Irregulars Art Fair. And um, we had a few editions of that and it used to take place at the same time as the India Art Fair. And that was again a sort of act of rebellion. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is in uh, New Delhi. In New Delhi. Yeah, yeah. And we, it was again, it was just a platform to showcase artists, give them a space to show their work. And then when COVID hit, we were just like, we were trying to figure out how to do the same thing with the same values without being able to leave our house. And the, our first thought was, we, let's just put it on paper. Because at the end of the day, the only way we can actually send art to people's houses so that they can view it while they're stuck at home is through a zine, a magazine, a newspaper, something. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of where it came about. And, and now it's this. Issue one is 
so close to my heart because it it's it has so many mistakes but i think i love that because we were just <laughs> kind of learning through doing yeah, yeah. you know and you say we so what was the team at start so first it was just anant and me because that anant and i started the art fair uh and then when we decided to do the newspaper we were like okay we need a team so anand runs a design studio and uh, he's a designer luckily because vasudha and i know very little about the design aspect of life but we've learned a lot through the newspapers um and so he came in with his design expertise and then we interviewed vasudha and then vasudha came on board as well and then in the beginning it was like four or five of us and um and then it just kind of grew because more and more people wanted to take part in it and that was it yeah and you describe it as an art and design newspaper mm. but it's it's much more than that to me yeah. to my eye yeah is that do do you use the idea of art and design to try and sort of tuck in all the other stuff without telling people that it's there yeah i think we call it an art and design newspaper i think all those three words are important really okay. because um we want to firstly balance the fact that there's um a huge amount of art yes but there's a lot of design as well um but underneath that yes there's so much more but we can't say that there it's a art design interview food music mm-hmm. magazine newspaper um advice column you know yeah, because yeah. how do we say all that so this is just the easiest way to say it and then we hope that people actually open it and learn from themselves mm-hmm. you know and and this uh, idea that it's a newspaper and not a magazine i think you alluded to some of that in 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 your introduction but i'd like to unpack that a little bit and just maybe yeah, yeah. hear about what you know why the specification of newspaper um firstly a newspaper becomes accessible to people um it's something that comes to your house every day if you subscribe to it i don't know if people still do today mm-hmm. um but it is something that's fairly commonplace um it we i mean for example we have 52 48 to 52 pages so it's fairly small and concise but it's packed with a lot of you know interesting art design columns interviews um so the idea was to really make it incredibly accessible to people like how we treat newspapers in our own houses like in india especially we line it in our cupboards to you know keep clothes on top of them or you know fry things and put you know food on it uh-huh. and i think also the first day of school every year we cover our books our new books uh-huh. in newspaper yeah. so we use the newspapers yeah. for everything exactly so i think in that sense it really um makes it accessible uh, engaging and yeah takes away that seriousness of a magazine or something uh-huh. that's really precious and delicate yeah as a format as a thing it's accessible and it certainly is it's bright and colorful and attractive and com- comes in that beautiful envelope how do you actually get it to people though i mean if it in terms of what we're talking about there, there are zine fairs which i but but other is there a route to market in terms of shops and distribution so again the thing is there are a few different ways we sell it one is on our website um people can just order it directly on our website and then we ship it to them 5 yeah. days later so that's number one the thing is what we didn't realize again when we started the newspaper was we were like you know print and everything is going to be print but when we actually started making it we were like 50% of it is actually designing and making and printing the newspaper and 50% of it is just marketing on Instagram so that because otherwise what's the point of having this beautiful thing that we've created mm-hmm. and no one sees it and at the end of the day right now everyone shops on Instagram so we do so much just I'm going to call it spamming we just post uh-huh. all the time 
we make so many videos, we interview artists, we're constantly on Instagram creating content because that is what people really interact with when they're sitting at home and mm -hmm. that's what makes them buy the newspaper. So that's one thing. And on the other hand, we stock in a lot of different places in India. Uh, galleries, shops, cafes. Mm -hmm. Not When I say a lot, I would, I'm still going to say I can count them on my finger and hand because they're not Yeah, many. because I also think that in terms of uh, people stocking the paper in their spaces, one of the limitations, if, if at all, with the newspaper is that it's in English. Um, so there is a specific audience and a demographic that can access it, right? Um, so in, in that sense, I feel like it does fit in spaces that aesthetically or brand-wise work really well. It's like a synergy of sorts. But in terms of publishing, I mean, I feel like... Um, unlike, for example, over here, you have Distri Press, people who are interested in, you know, getting your newspaper, supplying it within a specific region. We don't have that type of an ecosystem in India as yet. Um, so in that sense, it's a lot of word of mouth. People who are interested in our, uh, you know, the manifesto, the ethos and what we've been doing from issue one through four. Um, yeah, so it's a lot and, and, of uh, bootlegging. And, 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 uh, sort of extending that, do you know who your readers are? Yes, we actually do. And I think it's actually, so with the first issue, we decided to do this thing where we, with every issue, we would send a little baby accordion zine that said, uh, thank you for buying our issue. We'd love for you to take a photo with it and say, I got turt. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it became a big thing because every day, whenever someone would receive it on Instagram, we would have, see them take a photo and say, I got turt. So it's, and it's so cool because we didn't, we didn't expect it to be anyone apart from the people who are already in the zine world or the art world, but like the niche, like fun, less serious art world. And, um, but it was every kind of person. It was people, it was people's grandparents. It was people's kids who were coloring into the lines. Mm -hmm. It was everyone from everywhere. And um, of course, when I say that, it's, an, it's easy to say everyone from everywhere. But of course, again, like Asita said, because we're, it's all in English. It's definitely not people who could, can't speak English, unfortunately, uh, because we're not bilingual yet. We hope to be at some point. Um, but it was literally people of every age and every demographic looking through our newspaper. Mm -hmm. I think the craziest thing that's happened in the last three years is when we were sending these newspapers to Hamburg, it got stopped at the Indian post office for pornography. Well, just now. Right yeah, now. Yeah, just it now. got stopped because they thought it was pornography. And we had to go to the post office and be like, like beg them and say, I promise it's just art and design. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And it was like a two hour just back and forth where they were like, what are you talking about? There is sex in this. There is porn in this. So, but I think that's the craziest thing till now. Yeah. yeah which is good. Thank God. Yeah. And yeah. also it makes a good story. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> what other things have you encountered that have sort of caused you to stop and have to rethink and what problems have you come across? Well, I mean, there is, there's a variety of different extremes, I suppose, like for example, with issue one, because we were working within the pandemic and lockdown, we only had the option of exactly one paper to use. And we didn't even know what the paper would look like. They sent us a photo because they couldn't send it. And we were like, print. Uh -huh. We didn't know what to do. We were just hoping to God uh -huh. that it was a good paper, good thickness, it felt good. And it worked out, yes, but we had no idea. Uh -huh. 
From an editorial and content perspective, there have been challenges, even in terms of design, for example, with you know, something that you think might work within a specific issue doesn't really work. So how do you navigate that? Because you're also speaking to artists, we are also artists, we know what it's like to interact um, on that level. Um, so yeah, I feel like these types of challenges do come up in every issue and it's about how to navigate it and create an ecosystem that supports both the artist and the publication. Um, yeah, I feel like... I think uh, on the flip side, I think because we are all practicing artists as well, because we have to make a living through that to be able to do this, um, just the balancing, mm -hmm. you know, for, because for example, the designers who work with us are all on Anand's design studio team and they do a lot of proper, like, design-focused brand, brand, brand work. Focused and strategy. so when we actually start working on each issue and we hand over the stuff to the designers, it's mostly just this challenge of how do they balance working for actual clients who are paying clients and also do this, which they really love doing. Yeah. Because they, want, they all want to work on it, but they're just like, you know, we will, we, we'll, we'll take on extra hours, we'll do something. But because they're just like, I don't care what, I want to do the newspaper as well. Uh -huh. But it's really like, those, so those two, three months are very, very intense because we have to make sure that even though we are, you know, giving it our all, we're not, you know, slacking on the other side and not making money to actually produce this. Sure, yeah. sure. But there is that danger, isn't it? I mean, clearly you enjoy it. We love it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and can, you, can you sort of verbalize what, what it is that you love about it? Well, I think for a lot of us, like for example, me, like I'm a fine artist, which means that I work alone constantly. I'm sitting in my studio with a podcast through the day, working alone in my little tiny little bubble. And it's so nice to be able to work on the newspaper because you're constantly in conversation with artists from across the world. Mm -hmm. And there's so much collaboration involved that I think that's my favorite part of it. It's just that it's sort of like disrupt. You know, we mm -hmm. want you to disrupt the idea of what a design, like a designer should do and what a designer is taught. And so it's so different from their actual advertising corporate commercial work because they're like, okay, there's this box that we have, but we should be working outside the box instead of inside the box. And that's not how they're taught to, to do anything. And that's not the kind of work that they do because if they do that, the, their clients are not going to be happy. So yeah. it's for them, it's so fun because they get to go wild. And for me, I mean, yeah, <laughs> thanks. Um, for me, I really love bringing artists across really diverse practices uh, into the newspaper format uh, and showcasing their work to a larger diverse audience. I mean, of course, largely our audience is Indian, uh, but giving, you know, coming here to Hamburg and speaking to a lot of people here, talking about, you know, for example, in our fourth issue, in the language issue, we have, I, I, we, I'm also looking at language through other mediums. So there's an artist, uh, Bharti Alwani who makes uh, soaps, perfumes and incense sticks inspired by 17th and 18th century Mughal and Rajput paintings and it's something that I've never seen before. Um, so and also bringing conversations around uh, hierarchies and caste-based hierarchies uh, through different essays. Um, one of the things that we really emphasize and that's something that I feel very strongly about um, is uh, giving you know space for voices that don't often occupy the mainstream. Um, there are a lot of Indian artists who get a lot of, you know, incredible exposure, but how do we find writers who are, you know, focusing on a niche? How do we find artists who are translating uh, different mediums through their practice? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, how do we think about uh, specific, 
you know, siloed worlds through a more larger, uh, diverse uh -huh. narrative. So how do we build that? And, and do you find now you've got four issues down that people are coming to you? and wanting to be involved? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, one of the things is that we have uh, an open call for every issue and it's different for each issue. So um, for the second and third issue, I think it was around the comic column. Uh, but for the fourth issue, because it is around the theme of language, we put out an open call for recipes. So we asked people to, um, you know, contribute recipes that they would make for people that they love. So essentially, food is your love language. What would you make for someone that you mm -hmm. love? Uh, and then we collaborated with uh, a creative director, Priyanka Shah, and a photographer, Poras, to recreate those narratives through the image. Mm -hmm. So it was also the first time we were exploring photo for a food column. So that's the reason why I think it's a lot of fun, because no two issues are the same. What you might have seen in issue one, two, and three is completely different from each other, and of course from four. Um, and that's something that we try to do always, is challenge what we've already done, and how we can imagine it differently in the print. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what the newspaper format, publish, publication format, is I ideally placed for, to put yeah, that development. Exactly. And do you feel it has developed from one to two to three to four? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And like we can see it. Yeah, I mean, like, to start with one of the things, if I may say, so we never had an editor's note in the first issue uh, because we didn't think it was necessary. We had a manifesto. We were like, okay, that's more than enough. But then we were like, okay, we need a note to sort of articulate what this issue is about, why we're interested in it, and how we can, you know, mm -hmm. um, present ourselves to the world. So every issue is different, and we get to see that growth um, from each issue. I really enjoyed talking to Tarini and Vasuda. Uh, I found, on, on the one hand, so much of what they had to say was a common story that you hear from people starting out in, with their own independent magazine and their own, own publishing programme. And yet doing it in an Indian context, it had some unique elements of, uh, of both difficulty and excitement. And um, there's a lot to learn from it, but it was just fascinating to hear from such a different part of the world. And I think it'd be great to hear more from areas like this. Anyhow, that's all for this episode. Thanks again to Tarini and Fasuda and to Nina and the team at IndieCon for recording the interview. Thanks too to Penny and her colleagues at The Gentleman for making time to speak. Don't forget you can join The Gentleman Club by signing up on their website, thegentleman.co.uk. And don't forget to join us for Mag Culture Live, either here in London or online for the live stream. Um, you can find full details at magculture.com. And you can also um, keep in touch with all things MagCulture by signing up for our newsletter um, via the MagCulture website homepage. I think that's just about it now. Lovely. See you next time. See you next time.